I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed en masse. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. I'm Sam, and we are queuing up the Ansons summer series where we've invited a few members on staff here to pick out a favorite episode of theirs and revisit some of our favorite past episodes from around the office. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Stacy Burton. And one of my all-time favorite Anson's podcasts is called The Self-Arranging Life. I listened to it again recently and found it so helpful and so timely, especially in this season of uncertainty, where I find myself almost desperately trying to arrange my days and my life and the life of my family just to get some feeling of normalcy or control and a way to survive this unknown. And it's not out of a healthy place. So I am so grateful for the conversation with Sam and Blaine as they talk about entering into our days with God. And I hope it's an encouragement to you as well. Wait, wait, wait. It's not Tuesday. What happened? Well, you were gone. One thing led to another. And here we are. (laughs) I'm back. From out of space. You are. And Sam, how does it feel to be recording for the few? What do you mean the few? I just mean that sort of across arenas, podcast listenerships decline over the summer. Actually, people seem to consume less content over the summer, maybe because they're playing outside is what I hope. But given that people spend upwards of 90% of their life indoors, even in the summer, I don't really think it's because people are playing outside. So it's one of these mysteries in the production world of Mm -hmm. if you are listening, you are in the rare band of people committed to the life of your heart regardless of the season. So good for you. Yeah, so nice to be back with my people. Sam, how's it been going? It's good. Um, I've really enjoyed the last uh, couple weeks at home. Um, I know that's really generous, and uh, it just felt spacious to be there. Um, in other parts of the world, obviously, two weeks at home is like nothing. Um, <laughs> my wife has some friends who are in Germany where you get like a year. The husband and the wife both get a year for paternal and maternal leave um, and they're just traveling around so I'm just glad you just compared us with the Germans rather than Scandinavia just for once you know comparison really does tear things apart so let's go back to how it's been it's been really good it's been tough as we've not been sleeping a lot and that's kind of a cliche Um, but I found like it's just like two weeks flew by Um, and it's it's a new season, um, but something I have been thinking about, which is really kind of what we're going to be talking about today, as new rhythms, new challenges, new uh, just kind of ways that the day presents itself, I've found myself thinking about stories like mine or that are further down the field um, where life just kind of gets full. Life gets complicated. Um, kids get added. 
marriages get hard. This isn't particularly my story, um, but it seems like just the pressure cooker that is life and is more complications sort of invites a particular response from people. Um, and the words that I've put to that are that the pressure is that nobody else is going to be looking out for you. You are the only one who's going to be taking care of yourself. And the reason I've been thinking about it is like, even in a, a good season, I find myself trying to like find five minutes. That's for me. Um, last night, Susie was asking me for help just getting the kids together and it was a quiet moment. So I opened up Netflix on my phone and I like found myself rolling my eyes that she was asking me for help. But I was like, wait, why would that, why do I already feel entitled and why do I already feel like I need to like arrange for just a little bit of space for me? Um, and that's a really small example, but I've seen, I've seen that, that idea destroy marriages. I've seen it take people down when it, when it grows. Yeah, it's actually a complex concept because what we are talking about is this thing we can describe as trying to secure life for yourself, trying to get what you need. It could be described as trying to save your life. That's certainly how Jesus seems to describe it. And he says, you know, we sort of know that the person who tries to save their life will lose it. But in our day-to-day experience, it's not always clear to me what trying to save my own life looks like. Right. Until you come in with an example like that one where you, it sounds like what you're describing is a posture where nothing that you need is just going to be given to you in your time. And so where you can get it, it's up to you to make sure that you, when you have five minutes, watch a YouTube video when the kids go down, get that walk by yourself that you need. Right. Yeah. I mean, so the the story that comes to mind that I'll I'll talk about vaguely to sort of not incriminate dirt at these people. Um, but the story essentially goes like this: uh, man and woman get married, and they're outdoorsy, and they're young and full of life, and then life happens and isn't easy, and um, the wife struggles with depression and spends a lot of time inside, gains weight, doesn't go outside anymore. And the husband then has a choice. Do I move towards my wife and enter into what's really tough and uncomfortable? Or do I continue doing what I need for me? Because no one else is going to arrange for it. And so he does that. And he continues to go outside and continues to do this active life. Um, Kids, marriage continues to grow apart until one day uh, his work and his world is where he continues to find that he's seen and people are appreciating him and he ends up blowing up his marriage and blowing up his family um, because he was living out of this idea that nobody else is going to take care of me. I've got to get life where I can. I've got to be the one to um, make it happen. And um, there was a time when I think I was very unkind when I would think about that particular story, um, particularly towards him, I would just uh, find like a lot of anger and um, kind of disbelief and be like, how could you possibly do that? And then as I kind of got older and there's been a few years since that story, I've finally felt the small examples in my own life of, 
oh, like me arranging in these little ways is actually a symptom of the same thing in your life. It just got its roots in and grew and grew and got bigger and bigger and eventually tore you apart. Right. It feels helpful here to make a distinction between securing your own life and the positive expression self-care because they sound similar, but they're very, very different. You know, on the one hand, you have this thing of, yes, we do need to pay attention to our own internal world, understand how our soul operates and make decisions to keep it alive. People need to learn to advocate for themselves. People need to learn how to actually prioritize the life of their heart, even over something that looks really good, say, offering more into their community versus taking that weekend away with God. So there is this thing which is caring for the life of your heart. It's very different than what we're talking about here, which is putting your own life basically above the thing that you're called to, being ready to preserve your life, to get what you need, whatever the cost. And in that example you just name, the cost of these things escalates. No, it totally does. Yeah, that's what feels so sinister about it is that um, it starts off feeling like very normal and very human and like everybody's doing it. Um, I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago um, where I was reflecting on how everybody I know really kind of needs to medicate in some way. Um, And when I had mentioned that to a counselor friend, they actually weren't scared by that language. They were like, they tried to reframe it and saying, well, actually you do need medicine. There are things you will do in seasons that are actually the soul care side, whether that's going for walks or reading or spending some time alone with God, like that is really good. And it's really kind of sometimes a fine line between this soul care medicine type stuff and the, I just, I need to medicate in some way because we all do, because life is <laughs> the fallen crapshoot that it is. Um, and I think that's what feels so sinister is that it could look very good. It could look like, and the story I referred to, which is, you know, nobody in this community, that's nobody, it's nobody, whoever you're thinking of, it's not that person. It's the disclaimer in front of every TV show. Um, it starts off with, well, he still gets to do what he loves. He's still going to the outdoors. But while that's true, he was also neglecting his marriage and his kids and his world. And it's like, uh, if we're supposed to know things by their fruit, the fruit is a disaster and a body count, including himself, eventually. Right. So what it is, what we're talking about is a posture. And it's something that is absolutely toxic. And where it starts is, my life is up to me. One way to identify this in your own life, one way for me to identify this, is to look for the frame. If I don't get this, then disaster. You can just look for the consequences of, if I don't get an evening free just to unwind, then crisis. Mm-hmm. You can even see it as the conversation is happening 
between friends, let's say, doesn't only happen in marriages, it actually happens everywhere. But maybe you've been party to this kind of conversation where you're trying to decide what to do with your Saturday afternoon. You've chosen that you're going to do something in the mountains, but all of a sudden you see the stakes for one person just escalate of, no, their heart is set on visiting this particular creek. And you can just see in their body language and in their face that if that plan does not happen, they are deprived of something they need. And as soon as you see that happening, you have to go, whoa, we are 10 steps down a path we do not want to be on in which you believe already that you have to get your own life. And if it is being taken away from you, you are losing everything. You're not losing just this one experience. You're losing the life of your heart. So it feels like in order to really get at this in our own lives, we need to talk about that foundational piece, which is what does it look like to live from my life is up to me versus where's the point of origin of it's not? Because the alternative seems vague. It does. And I think that's a really good point to to begin asking the questions of how do we identify it? How do we identify when I'm operating out of soul care and how do I identify when I'm operating out of this seeking to save my life or orphan mentality? I mean, there's so many things and labels that get thrown at this um, because it's a fairly big deal because it can totally take out your life, your marriage, your work, your relationship with God. You could lose your life, right? The, the ultimate warning. Um, and one of the big things that you've, you just mentioned um, is to ask that question of, if this was taken away, how do I respond? How do I feel? What does it feel like I have actually lost? So if it is a walk, if it is a bike ride, if it is a video game, if it is a, a glass of wine or, or a cigar, whatever it is. If it is a career. Ooh, right. And you ask, if I give this up, who am I? Who how does this affect me? How does it affect my world? How, it, how do I feel about myself? The career is sort of a, gee, why do you have to throw that one in there? Because um, it's heavy stuff. I mean, that's that's the question that Morgan asks, you know, who are you apart from all of those things? Um, so that that is a big question, of, especially of the smaller things, though, of like, if I do not go for this walk this evening, how how do I feel? How, what do I believe about myself and, and being taken care of? And does, does it feel like I now need to take out my irritation on everybody else in my world because this, this I deserve this. And if I don't get this, then I'm not, I don't have to be a nice person. <laughs> um, another question that I think I would be aware of is your, like its effect on you and the people around you afterwards. So let's say you do the thing how do you then relate to people afterwards? Do Does this actually help you be a better husband, a better coworker, a better leader, a better wife, a better friend? If you come back from it energized, full of life, and able to engage your world, like that actually might be a very, very, very good thing. Uh, some of the wives on the of members of the team began really blessing the guys going and doing hunting trips and things like that because they were better men when they came back. Um, that's a very good response. If instead, when you've done the thing, 
a hunting trip, a bike ride, whatever, and you come back, you're just thinking about the next time you can go on the thing and kind of everything else in between it is a nuisance. That is an addiction and that is potentially a sign that it's something that isn't very good. Right. It got you back to zero. The smaller examples are so much easier. One that I think of is, because it's relevant, is sleep deprivation. But I think we all have either been the person, we've all been the person, but we definitely have the friend who, when they have a hard night, they're just sort of a tool the whole next day versus the person who goes, yeah, rough night, I will sleep again. That looks like differences in disposition. It's actually differences in posture. The one person has not got what they need. They are now at a deficit. They're just going to be totally grumpy. Sorry, hard night. The other person knows that actually they are going to be provided for. They're going to be okay. There's a kind of assurance that they're living with where they go, yeah, but I will sleep again. You know, some of the really loving people I know here on the team have experienced some of the longest periods of sort of physical affliction in various ways, sleep deprivation, injuries, and yet have still been the most loving people in those periods, which reveals a core belief that actually whatever happens circumstantially, they're going to be provided for, their heart's going to be okay, they're going to get what they need, and you see it in the way that they live and treat people. One other way of framing this that's helpful for me is to go, this is the same point of origin, this I need to get what I need. It shares common convictions with the religious spirit and actually with the essence of all religion, which is I must do something and then I will get what I need. And the religious spirit is I must live a certain way And then I have whatever the blessings of God or I actually get to enjoy some of the benefits of the work of Jesus. It's I perform, therefore I am loved. Whereas actually the point of Christianity, the start of our life with God is something has been done for me that allows me to actually rest and live differently. Where I could not get what I need, God entered in, became incarnate in my darkness, gave me the benefits of his life, which then frees me to live in a different way. It's actually the same thing. And that's why it gets roped into an orphan mentality and it's all up to me because what we're talking about is, does your life begin with what you do in order to earn what you need? Or does your life begin with a core assurance that actually there is a loving God who has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself, who is going to get you what you need. And therefore, you can operate out of the rest and the relief that it isn't up to you at all. Right. What I love about that example, Blaine, is that the message invites a response rather than demands action in order to earn the thing. Um, The beauty of the gospel is that this is what is true, And now we get to live out of it rather than putting the cart before the horse and demanding behavior to earn the reward. Um, As we talk about this, I'm just so aware of the ways that my mind and heart and body 
are always looking for the path of least resistance. They're always looking for like the, give me the baseline, the least common denominator, give me the place of rest as soon as possible. And just the battle to choose things against that are like, they feel difficult. Um, you and I did a podcast a while ago where we just asked each other questions. And one that I asked you was, what do you have to tell yourself first thing in the morning? Um, after Susie listened to it, she asked me because I didn't answer that question. You did. And she wanted to hear the thing that I tell myself. And at the moment, the thing that came to mind was sometimes when the kid and now kids are demanding or life feels demanding, the thing I need to tell myself first thing in the morning is this is not about me. And it, this is not about me getting what I need or me feeling like I'm first. And when I have that mentality, like, oh my gosh, then me loving on them becomes incredibly life-giving. Me not needing to arrange for myself and just celebrating the fact that food goes everywhere at breakfast and that I have like a chaotic family that is happy and healthy and well, like that's, that ends up being a place that is so much more life-giving than if I was trying to white knuckle this posture of this is about me and I better get my coffee and my breakfast first and I better get some peace and quiet before I go to work. Like if that's my posture, I'm going to leave pissed and exhausted and like a terrible husband and father. But if my posture can, instead of trying to find, you know, that path of least resistance, the, the most comfortable way and choose this is, this is not about me. And if it's not about me, like, that's really okay. Then I get to be the recipient of so much good. Yeah. The way that expresses itself for me, I could put it this way. If I wake up and sort of believe I need to be loved enough today, and it has to happen in the way I'm treated by my family, the way I feel accomplishment at work, the way that I get plenty in the form of recreation, gifts, food, whatever it is, I need to be loved enough. All of a sudden, I've entered into a terrible deficit. Whereas if it starts with, I really am loved. I really am. Okay, that is my reality. Everything then is bonus. It can be wonderful. You talked about your mornings I think there are two places that I can think of right off the bat where I see this tension working itself out in my life. The first is money. And even though I just wrote about it, even though that some of my master's degree work is in it, there is this, wow, unfinished part in me, maybe it will never be finished, where money and provision remain linked Money and success remain linked, and money and performance is something that I sort of feel all the time, and I feel this, it's up to me. I wouldn't necessarily name it that way, but on a Saturday when I'm dumping water on grass that's dying, and when I'm trying to return the garage sort of in chaos to order, and when there are just more needs, it feels like, than there are resources, where I just feel is this fear of, man... The other shoe is going to drop. I'm going to run out and then we will be abandoned to our failures and I'm going to run out. It's going to look like 
well, maybe my job isn't going to exist forever, or maybe something's going to happen where the needs suddenly escalate and I just can't meet them. And so what I feel in response is work harder. And I literally the other night, Emma's putting Ailish down. I'm out sitting on the couch waiting for her. And this thought comes to me as though it's a revelation, which is I need to work harder. Work is what makes life better. And now there's obviously, if it were totally wrong, then it would be easier to reject. But because there is value in work and we can, you know, we talk about that at other times, my heart can kind of go, yeah, the solution to my anxiety right now about provision and being okay is just me to work harder and make sure that my family stays okay. And it actually took several days before Jesus could address that and go, what are you, what are you concerned about exactly? And I could say, well, I'm concerned that what if my job stopped existing and suddenly we don't have income? And Jesus will just come right back with, what would happen? And I go, well, we could lose our house. We could lose our lifestyle. We, you know, we'd be moving into somebody's basement, hopefully, if they made room for us. And I just feel Jesus sort of going, and? And and what happens to you? Those are, you've all just described these circumstantial changes, but what about your life, your marriage, your being, your kid? And I and sort of came to the place of, oh, I get what you're driving at. You're driving at, we would be in a deep sense, okay. And I actually have friends who are experiencing various versions of that, and I am watching them be okay in the face of catastrophe. And yet I'm still in this place of, no, 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 no. I'm okay because my life is okay, because I'm working all the time for it to be okay. I'm arranging, and and then I'm living with this constant anxiety. But I see the alternative, which is we are okay as a rule. We are okay because Jesus is actually good and knowable and present and playful and that has consequences for us yeah the thing with the arranging for yourself and going for yourself is that ultimately what it's also saying is everything is up to you your happiness your health your world sustaining itself everything is up to you and if you don't do x it's all going to come crumbling down which is which which is kind of true because it will all come crumbling down if you do if you do x it's just the the inverse if you do keep believing it's all up to you and you go 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 you will blow up your world you will try to save your life and you will lose it yeah here's another place that i experience it on a regular basis my life with god where of course we believe that we need to structure our time to make regular space for communion and intimacy with God. That's true. There are things that we need to do and choose towards. But I have this thing in my life with God, which is I need whatever to make God available. I need in this dedicated time to read a bunch of Psalms through which God will become visible. I need 
to turn on worship music and get my heart into a posture of worship, then God will become available. The irony is, he does become available in those things, but not because I'm there sort of making it happen. And it just brings all this stress to what's actually supposed to be a wonderful part of my day, which is the ability to experience God. Emily, my wife, seems to experience just much more easily for whatever reason the real alternative, which is God is available, therefore you can spend time with him. And what that looks like for her is when she has some time, she begins with the premise, God is available. And then she'll just ask, and where, what do you want to meet me in? Because it frees her out of having to do a certain ritual of steps in order to access God or in order for the time to work. And it allows God to meet her in all these other ways where it'll be like, actually, you experiencing me in fulfilling your calling. Yes, though Blaine is off with your daughter, you can clean the kitchen. Though that looks like work, I'm going to meet you there. Or it can mean take the car, grab some of your friends, go grab coffee together, or any number of other things, create or hike or just sit on your back step like there's suddenly this space where when you begin with God is available, then you can ask, how do you want to meet me in this time? And yet, you know, week to week, I find myself going, man, I really need to experience God. How do I secure that for myself as quickly as possible? And in starting that way, I sort of end up frustrated, exhausted, stressed out all of the things that a life with God is supposed to not do. Yeah. So the hope of this is to begin to examine some of those things that we do that look like good things. They look like soul care. They look like protecting yourself. They look like doing good work or whatever. Like it feels feels good and can look good, but the actual effect of it is totally draining and potentially incredibly damaging. Um, and so the hope is that by identifying those things and releasing those things, that not only will you avoid, not only will you, but I, not only will I avoid the pitfalls right now, but the greater and potentially more damaging ones down the road. And actually by not walking in this sort of orphan stress no one is going to look out for me mentality i can i can actually experience so much more life and so much more rest and so much more of what i actually think i'm getting but i'm not when i'm trying to arrange for life for myself it's so huge we've named a couple areas where this comes up for me money a life with god i think it would be really helpful I'm just going to name some other places where I need to get what I need tends to show up and the results tend to be toxic. One of them is respect. Now, there is a difference between advocating for yourself, which we need to learn to do, and having standards of treatment that you will accept, which we need to do, and going, I must be treated in a particular way in every circumstance. I need to secure respect and honor for myself. That one will blow up down the field. 
joy we've sort of gestured towards. But if you go, I need a certain measure of relief in my life and I have to get it, that will radically backfire. And then success or work. I think there's this one of my work needs to look a certain way or in it, I have to do this. And that one can just sort of blow up in all kinds of directions. You can become the person who just works frenetically or is absolutely lost in the thing that is their job. Or you can be the person who actually hates the work that you're doing because what's up what's up to you is to get what you need relative to a vocation in the work that you are doing versus allowing it to be real that There is a loving father who has a plan for you and who has written parts of his nature into your soul that you will express through a calling. And you're going to be okay. Where you are taken on the wandering points of your journey, your calling will express itself. That's very different than going, I need to move towards this. I need to move towards that work. Man, there are so many ways that I'm struck by areas in my life that I'm self-arranging or like these visions I have good ones, great ones, kingdom ones. But I need to like from time to time re-examine the motive and look under the hood and go, oh, okay, that's why you thwarted that in the past. Or that's, oh, this one's actually about me and not about you. Um, And again, back to what it's been like with the family the last couple of weeks, one I'm able to live out of it's going to be okay, and it's not up to me, and it's not even about me. It turns into a really beautiful story. 